Thank you, guys. Beautiful song. Was that uh, is that one of those old Maranatha praise or not? Vineyard. Okay, I downloaded a bunch of those old Maranatha praise songs the other day. That and Willie Nelson, but. Uh, you know, the great thing about this day is you can get any song on your computer. And an awful thing about today is that you can get any song on your computer. So, I'm dealing with all of that. But it was, it's, I loved some of that old music and um, those praise songs of the early 70s. Because it reminds me of those early days. I'm a child of the 60s. I was in high school in the 60s instead of college student, but I still consider myself a child of the 60s. Many times when um, my children were growing up, I can't tell you how many times I heard them say, Dad, turn the radio down. I'm not bragging, nor am I confessing. I'm just, that's just the way it is. I, I like music loud. And most of the people who grew up in those days do. They, we just like it, like it loud. And... You know, those were interesting days, and whether we admit it or not, we were affected by the spirit of the day, or the spirit of the age. And what was that spirit? It was the spirit of rebellion and rejection of established authority of all kinds. But I would say that that's the spirit of this age also. I mean, we don't see the, the kind of protest and riots that we saw in the late 60s and the early 70s. But nonetheless, those the radical ideas of those days left an indelible imprint on our national psyche. We tend to dislike or distrust authority and those in authority. I mean, Americans have always tended to be individualistic anyway. And our I'll take care of it myself mentality also breeds a spirit of leave me alone, just leave me alone, let me get the job done my way. My way. That in a nutshell, is why we bristle against authority. We don't want other people telling us how to do what we need to do. We, we want people out of our business. Now, your way may very well be better than your parents' way, your boss's way, government's way, your husband's way. But there's a problem with insisting on bucking against authority even if your way is clearly better. Now, before you turn me off, please know that I'm not saying we should always do exactly as we're told and never say anything in response to those who are in authority over us. We are blessed enough to live in a land where, where our word has say in the government, uh, our government leaders and, and policies. Also, there are many in authority who are glad to listen to those who are underneath them. But what if we lived in a totalitarian society? Well, it really doesn't matter according to Scripture whether we live in a totalitarian society or a free society. There is much that we have to learn from the structure of the Trinity. And I want for us to get into a little bit of the meat of the message before we even read our text because after the text, most of our time is going to be spent in applications. We're going to be thinking about application of human relationships uh, based on our knowledge of God. There is order in the Trinity. Authority and submission are found within the Trinity without the slightest hint of resentment or bitterness or jealousy. 
Bruce Ware said, One of the lessons of the Trinity is that God loves, exercises, and embraces rightful authority, submission, relationships. In the very eternal relations that are true of the persons of the Trinity, authority and submission are lived out with love and joy. We've already spent a lot of time in this series talking about the order that's within the Trinity. The Father has authority over the Son and the Spirit. He is the ultimate authority. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit submits to both the Father and the Son. And and yet, while the Son was living on earth, He did everything that He did at the direction and, and, and the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. These roles are eternal. Now, this is important to understand. This authority, submission, these authority, submission relationships and roles within the Trinity have always existed. They existed before the beginning of the earth, before the foundations of the earth. And they are not ever reversible. The Son never exercises authority over the Father, nor is the Father ever submissive to the Son or the Spirit. Does this mean that the Father is greater than the Son and the Spirit? They are equal. All three are equal in nature. They all have the same nature. They're all eternal for the three are one. So there is no rank in the Trinity as in the Father came first and then He created the Son and the Spirit. But there is clear order. The Father is not on a different plane than the Son or the Spirit, but there is order. Now, I'm not going to take time to review the numerous passages that we have read that will establish this truth, but you can find all of the messages in this series um, on, the, on the web in audio form, and also you can get to, the, to my blog, which is found on the web, and, and read the written transcripts if you want some of that, uh, those passages. Plus, we'll be talking about a little bit in the home groups this week. The truth that we have learned about order in the Trinity serves as the foundations for God's teaching on authority and submission in our human relationships. You're going to see just a little bit of that in our text. But the main focus is going to be on application. It's found in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 6, 9. So we are going to stand and read those verses together. If you would, please stand. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, and we're going to go all the way through Ephesians 6, 9. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, these are words that we believe is true, and yet we also recognize would not be popular in our nation today. Father, we're the church, and we are here Sunday morning listening to your word. Pray that you would open our hearts, help us to receive it, and help us in our relationships with others Reflect the glory of the Trinity. Point people to Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Thanks and be seated. I suppose one of the first objections that we might raise to the prospect of submitting ourselves from the heart, whether it be a parent, I mean a child to, to, to his parents, his or her parents, uh, a wife to her husband, employees to a boss, and citizens to a government whose policies we consider irrational at best and, and immoral at worst, is that even though there is order in the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity are perfect. You've got Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're all perfect. So this is, of course there's this incredible love and unity that we talked about last week. Of course there's that. But in our relationships, there is imperfection. We're called to submit to imperfect humans, and I might add humans with only half the sense that God has given us. We all get that, don't we? We see the problem, and God addresses it by... Well, no, God doesn't address the problem. He just says, submit to authority, whether it is a Christian to whom you're called to submit, or whether it's an unbeliever. Who is your authority figure? How can we submit to imperfect people when we are, in effect, a rebellious people ourselves? (laughs) By being filled with the Spirit. It's significant, don't you think, that before the Lord goes into this long 
uh, command, this long time of, of command of, of submitting to authority, that he talks about the importance of being filled with the Spirit. You know, the Spirit knows how to submit. We call him in the order the third person of the Trinity. Not because he's ranked below the Father and the Son, but because his role is one of submission. He gladly does the Father's business and glorifies the Son. That's his role. He knows how to submit. And when we are filled with the Spirit of God, then we're able to submit as he does. You know, we have seen this over and over in in, in New Testament texts. But once again, we see all three persons of the Trinity in these verses, in Ephesians 5, verses 18 to 21. Notice that when the Spirit is in control of our lives, we dwell together in love and unity and we and we encourage one another with psalms and hymns and and spiritual songs and we submit to one another or in other words we live in humility and with deference to other people there's debate about whether verse 21 submit to one another belongs with this section or the section after the section before it or the section after it do we submit to our brothers and sisters in Christ or in marriage is there mutual Submission. Well, this verse is probably a, it's a transition verse. It sort of ties one thought with another. It's kind of a segue. But really, it's, it, it seems to me much more in the sense of submit to one another in the Lord. And while we're talking about submission, wives submit to your husbands. Now, that's a structure that is heartily accepted in society today. Wives submit to your husbands. In fact, what are your emotions when you hear those words? Wives, submit to your husbands. Red flags, alarm bells, words of caution. When you hear that, you say, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay. All right, I understand, but let's explain what this submission is all about. We help God a lot, don't we? We all have examples that would nullify the validity of this command. And so we're tempted to make the monumental mistake of making the exceptions the rule. Man, we're good in our nation at doing that anyway. One thing happens, well, I can't do that anymore. Because look what could happen. Wives, submit to your husbands. As long as he is a godly man and he loves you like Christ loves the church and he's a good father to you and your, to your children and he, and he fulfills your emotional needs. Doesn't say that, does it? I cannot believe the number of women who would like a divorce from their husbands and ask for justification for divorce from their husbands because I just can't be all that God wants me to be in this relationship. And I don't think God would want me to be in that place. Right? No, it's not right. Now, please understand, I I recognize that that, that many, several of you have gone through the pain of divorce. And it was not nothing that you did. It was just someone who, who, who didn't fulfill his or her role in the marriage that he was supposed to and walked away or was unfaithful. And and believe me, I believe, although I know some of you do not think this is the case, but I believe very very firmly that in Matthew 19, Jesus stated that 
that divorce is an acceptable course of action when one spouse commits adultery. What you might not know is that when Jesus said that, he wasn't trying to give people an out. Okay, you know what? If there's adultery, go ahead and be divorced. What he was saying was only in the case of adultery because men, it was a man's world in the first century. And men with rabbinical support and writings, rabbis had written, it's okay to divorce your wife if she puts too much salt in the food. If she talks too much, <laughs> big trouble. <laughs> big trouble. <laughs> I, I mean, men were divorcing their wives for nothing. And Jesus said, look, Moses gave you this right as an, because of the hardness of your heart. But let me tell you, unless it's the case of adultery, don't even think about it. It's not God's plan. What God has joined together, don't. And by the way, regardless of what your past is, God's will for your life begins today. So don't worry about those past. Don't be thinking about, don't let Satan take these words that I'm saying and what Scripture says and, and beat you over the head with it. Forget it. That's in the past. Whatever you've done, confess it. Go on. But God's will for your life and your relationship right now is to make it work. Do everything you can to make it work. In the cases of infidelity or abandonment as detailed in 1 Corinthians 7, divorce is allowed. And I understand why. And furthermore, I would not want a woman to live in a home with, with her children where there is physical abuse or severe emotional abuse that puts him in danger. And I say severe or extreme emotional abuse because it would be so easy, so easy to overstate an unhappy relationship. If God's order for the home is the same as it is in the Trinity, a leader and a follower or followers. Is it any surprise that Satan would want to cause us to question that order? No, of course not. For decades, starting somewhere in the 70s, almost all secular entertainment depicted husbands and fathers as ignorant and or tyrannical buffoons that deserve scorn or bullies that required being put in their place. Guys got tired of it, and consequently, then, then you got the sports uh, beer-drinking crowd that put men back in control. Neither picture is biblical. What does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Well, there's not a whole lot of explanation given here. Though other New Testament texts talk about a gentle, quiet spirit, pure conduct, and a godly heart. In verse 33 of Ephesians 5, wives are told to respect their husbands. I suppose the greatest example I've ever seen of that was my dear wife, Linda. When I doubted myself, she didn't, ever. She never, ever doubted me. She always built me up. She always respected me. And believe me, there were times when I made life less than wonderful for her. And arguments? Yeah, we had our arguments. It's not like she never raised her voice. She did. Probably with, you know, good reason. 
But she always, always, always respected me. And her respect made me a far better man, husband, father, and minister. God's design for wives is that they submit to their husbands, giving them honor and respect. Not the old brother. You know, women multitask. Women do things, a lot of things well at one time. Guys, you know, do one thing at a time well. And, uh, I mean, you know, they do flip channels pretty, pretty well. They're good with that. But once they get on something that they enjoy, that's all they're thinking about. That's all they're thinking about. And the temptation is to say, oh, brother, there you go. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. It's not God's will. It's countercultural for wives to submit to and honor and respect their husbands. Bruce Ware says that we live in a culture that despises submission as much as it does authority. And you know that's true. It despises submission as much as it does authority. We don't like authority and we don't like somebody who's a limp noodle, submissive, submissive kind of puppy dog. Whatever. That's not what true submission is. But that's the depiction of it. Because it's easier to talk about how stupid it is if you can say, well, this is what submission gets you to. But you know what? At the end of this age, we're not going to answer to Oprah. We're going to answer to Jesus Christ. The one who did everything his father told him to do, including going to the cross. That's why in verse 24, spiritual accountability is brought into the command to submit. In the same way that the churches submit to Christ, wives are to submit to their husbands. So husbands are probably feeling pretty good about things right now. Unfortunately... God's Word is quite clear both here and in other places such as James 3.1 and 1 Peter 3.7 that those who have leadership responsibilities, have authority, have the greater responsibility and are far more accountable than those they're called to lead. You want to be the leader? Okay. But you're going to have to answer at the end. And the person to whom you answer... Is not going to say, well, yeah, I understand how that was. Uh, I know it wasn't that easy for you. So I'm just going to let that pass. He gives no, he's not partial at all, as we'll talk about again later in a few moments. The kind of leadership to which husbands are called is one of absolute sacrificial love to the point of dying. For those you lead. Which is exactly what Christ did when he died for the church. We're called to be men, husbands, fathers, the spiritual leaders of our homes in the same way that Christ leads the church. So if I were you, I wouldn't be pulling that submission card very much. 1 Peter 3.7 is one of those verses that will make you wince if you care more about what is culturally acceptable than, than what is biblical. 
Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, if you mistreat your wife, don't waste your time praying. If you want to lead the way that you think is acceptable, just don't even come to the Lord. That's pretty blunt. But it's the heavy responsibility put on husbands as leaders of their home. Within the Trinity, God the Father's plan and His love are perfect. Men, as leaders of their home, have no chance of being the kinds of husbands and fathers they're called to be unless they're filled with the Spirit of God. I know a lot of husbands who love their wives on their terms. That's what I did for many years of our marriage. I loved my wife the way that I thought she ought to be loved. And it just absolutely bum-fuzzled me that she didn't get it. You know, she would say, I just don't feel like you love me. I'd say, what? Let me... Here's the list. And she'd say, yeah, but I've got a different list. You know, and I'd want to say, yeah, but I'm the head of the home, so my list is more important than your list. 1 Peter 3.7 commands husband to live with their wives in an understanding other way. Understanding way. In other words, love them the way that they need to be loved. Find out what it is that they truly need and love them in that way. With words that, that are so controversial today, Peter describes women as the weaker of the two in the marriage relationship. Certainly, Peter means that men are Stronger physically, most likely he means they're stronger emotionally also. And certainly they have more delegated authority than their wives. So the temptation to abuse is great. Because the person to whom they're accountable is not with them day in and day out. The person to whom they're going to have to answer is in the future, maybe. Maybe. Especially one who's abusing, obviously, doesn't believe he's going to have to give an account to the Lord. In a physical struggle, most men would, would hurt their wives. And they can damage their wives greatly, their spirits greatly with careless words. And they can take advantage of their spiritual authority given to them by God. But if they do so, it's clearly because they've forgotten that they're accountable to someone who is much bigger than they, God, and he doesn't care about our reasons. Along with leadership comes great responsibility. Well, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, you have all the answers you need for a long and happy, fulfilled marriage, right? As you know, we haven't scratched the surface. So I want to recommend to you a book that I have not yet completed. I'm in the process of reading this book with my crazy schedule, including my father being in the hospital this week and with the Carolina Hurricanes quest for the Stanley Cup. I've been unable to complete uh, this book as of yet. But as I'm reading, I'm discovering what people that I highly respect have told me over and over about this book, that it's a great book. Love and Respect by Emerson Egerich. I don't know if that's exactly how you say his name. Is saying something quite well that needs to be said and we need to hear. I mean, the subtitle affirms what we've been discussing this morning, what we've been talking about so far. The love she most desires, the respect he desperately 
needs. I got to tell you, one of the frustrating things for me for about 20 years in early years of ministry for me was that all the books that were written about marriage relationships basically said, if you will love your wife like Christ loves the church, everything will be okay. She'll respond, it'll, it'll be okay. Unfortunately, 70 to 80% of the people who were reading those books were women. Men couldn't, they didn't read those books. And it just made the women more disappointed with what they had or didn't have. Here's a guy, and, and which is why, for the longest time, the best book I had ever read about marriage was Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. A secular book! Because he said women have issues just like men do. And they need to deal with them. Well, this book deals with them all. It's an equal opportunity dagger, I suppose. <laughs> Blade. We both get it. We all have issues to work out. So rush out to a bookstore in the next few days. Pick up this valuable help for your marriage. Order in the Trinity. Order in the home. In addition to wives being submissive to their husband, children are called to honor and obey their parents, both father and mother. And in so stating here in Ephesians 6, 1 and 3, the Apostle Paul is hearkening back to the Ten Commandments. And he says, here is a, here's a commandment that carries a promise with it. A prosperous and long life. Now once again, the order in the Trinity is our model. So just as Jesus said that he did what the Father told him to do, then children are called to obedience. And it's not the kind of obedience that's like one, two, three. Used to be three. Now we're up to five in a lot of places. A lot of cases. And kids wait. And on four, you know, they start coming. That's not the kind of obedience he's talking about. It's obedience from the heart. That's what it means to honor our father and mother. Now, that doesn't mean your parents get a free pass. Um, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. It's the, it's the responsibility of the parents, especially the father, to point children to Jesus. And that requires that we be consistent in our lifestyles. Not perfect. Ain't happening. But consistent. And when you make a mistake... Admit it. You know, when we were raising our children, we had no idea. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing or how it was going to turn out. In retrospect, the Lord, just like He allowed us to figure out our marriage, He allowed us to figure out some of the things in parenting. Not that the, the, my kids don't have problems. They do. Just like all of us do. But one, but, but, but two of the most important things were, 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 were being real, not trying to be one thing to everybody else and, 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 and then another thing at home. And, and admitting when you're wrong. But not making a huge deal out of it. Mommy and daddy are sorry. We're so stupid. We shouldn't have done that. No, don't say that. Just, just say, honey, we're wrong. We admit it. You know, I'm so sorry. And then, you know, the next time they want to pull the old, just... You know, while I, I don't think, because I said so, it, it, that's rarely a good answer. I'm the parent, you're the child, and that's the way God designed it. That's a better answer. 
You understand the, the nuance? You understand the difference in that? And it's the way God has designed it. And you know what? We're, we're concerned about what God wants. We're concerned about the way God has designed us to be. And that's what it's all about. It's, it's all a picture. All of these relationships that we're talking about, if they're lived right, if they're lived according to God's Word, point to the Lord. They point to Him. What this passage is saying is that we instruct our children rather than bully them. It means that we love them deeply and we recognize that it's our responsibility to prepare them, as we were told in Ephesians 5, to leave this home and be a husband who loves and a wife that respects when they leave our homes. Because they are going to leave. And I do believe, by the way, that when you leave your home, that's when you are ought to respect and honor your parents all your lives. But parents, if they're 24, 25, get over trying to run their lives. It ain't going to happen. 24, 25 year old, if you're at home, you're going to have to put up with some of that. It's just the part, it's just the way it is. And I tried to get my daughter and son both to come back and live with us, save some money, you know, before they got married. But if they had, then there would have been, you know, a, a change. I'm not saying it's a bad thing for you to be at home when you're older, but it does change the dynamic. But when they leave, parents, let them go. Let them go. Well, before we conclude this text, and, and, and message in the next few verses. I want to point out that Romans 13, 1 to 7, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 3, and 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17 are quite clear that we are to submit to governmental authorities. Thus, the title of this message, Order in the Trinity, Order in the Court. Remember those little order in the court deals that we used to say? Please write these passages down and, and study these texts. You're going to think a lot more deeply about this in home fellowships this week. There's a difference in submitting to the government and obeying the government when, when the government tells you to do something that is contrary to, to, um, to Scripture. However, that line is probably much further than, than you may think that it is. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even going to get into it. Go to home group this week. Even if you don't normally go, go if you want to be in on this discussion because it's, it's an important one. God makes it clear that if we want to be in obedience to Him, we are to be subject to every human institution, even to the point, we're told in 1 Peter 2.17, of honoring the emperor. And maybe you didn't like Bush. Maybe you don't like Obama. But I got news for you. Nero was no uh, (laughs) godly man. And I'm pretty sure he was emperor when Peter wrote that. And he said, honor him in just years. And Peter knew this by the hope first Peter. He's preparing them for persecution. And many of them were going to die because they refused to say, to us Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And yet he said, honor the emperor. And he wasn't telling them there's a difference between honor and worship. Again, that's, you're going to talk about that in home group this week. But we are to respect and obey as much as possible governmental authorities. That's hard, as is the call for employees to submit to employers. 
Well, okay. Ephesians 6, 5 to 9 says that slaves are to submit to their masters and masters are to treat their slaves with dignity. But since we are thankfully devoid of such in our society, we are going to make application for bosses and workers. It certainly fits. Once again, both authority and submission are shown to be matters of the heart. That's why it really doesn't matter whether we're talking about masters and slaves or, or employers, bosses and, and workers, employers, employees, because it's always a matter of the heart. Workers submit as unto Christ and bosses lead recognizing that they have a boss in heaven and there is no partiality. He has no favorites. He's not inclined towards certain personalities or certain physical appearance. He treats all people with absolute justice and fairness. Fairness in this life ain't happening. Get over it. It's not happening. And besides that, What's fair to you, it's not fair to me anyway. And so fairness is one of those subjective, man-made kind of uh, rights that we insist on. Justice is a different thing, and God is ultimately just. There won't be in this world, but there is a day. There's coming a day when all will be made right. He created us all, and He expects us to fulfill whatever role it is He's called us to. With love from the heart. And we're to live our lives seeking to please Him, not man. And that's the deal. It makes it possible when we recognize that what we're doing is to Him, not to others. Because I'm telling you, when you serve other people, and they don't appreciate it, when you do what you suppose, you submit, or you're the right kind of authority figure, and they just throw it in your face, that hurts. It hurts deeply. And you will cry yourself to sleep or kick a hole in the wall in anger unless you recognize that what you do is done to God, not to men. That doesn't mean we don't give thought to others. Indeed, the whole lesson has been that we treat others with love and respect. But we don't do what we do so that they'll commend us or so that life will be easier for us. We do it because God commanded us to do so and we do it because in so doing, we point people to the wonder and the beauty and the holiness of the Trinity. Three in one. We are made... In the image of God. As we learned last week, the Father, Son, and Spirit dwell in perfect unity and express perfect love for one another. To be made in God's image means that as the people of God, we're called to live in community with love for our brothers and sisters. And we've talked about today authority submission relationships. It's the same thing. Just as the Trinity exhibits and shows us these perfect authority submission relationships, we're called to live in those and gently lead in love and submit first to Jesus, then to those in authority over us with honor and respect. You know, I began this message saying that we are a rebellious people. That's true, and I don't think anybody would deny that. Now, personalities are all different, and some of us are more rebellious than others. But even people who are docile and seem to be very quiet, uh, it's often 
times there's something going on inside that is, in essence, rebellious. It's just who we are with the sin nature. When God is absent from our lives and we're allowed to go our own way, we really want to go our own way. When the Spirit is in control, of course, it's, it, it, it's, it's different. But since we're made in the image of God, we are made in the image of God. There's a part of us that very much craves order, including proper authority and proper submission. If you think the government should stay completely out of our lives, then what will you do if and when there's anarchy in the streets? You're going to be calling for order. We crave order, which is why some people who have far less than we do and don't have the, the freedom to, to think about some of the things that we do would just as soon have a dictatorship as any kind of democracy because they feel like there's a person who will take care of me or meet my needs. There's some order that will be brought to the country. We as a people crave order and proper authority and proper submission, but the flesh gets in in the middle of it, of course, and messes it all up. Of course, the ultimate answer is for Jesus to be in control, in control of the world. And that's going to happen regardless of what your eschatology is. What do you think about end times? Whether it be in a thousand year reign here on this earth or whether it be in the new heaven in the new earth. There will be a day when Jesus is in complete control. Our responsibility, our privilege here and now is to indicate to people that the image of God is indeed in all of us and it's seen in the ways that we lead in love and we submit with a gentle, respectful spirit. Let's pray.